we are at the end of this parable series. Are you excited? I'm kind of sad, actually, because I've really, really enjoyed it. But at the same time, I'm eager to move on to something else. We've been studying the parables of Jesus since the end of August. So it's a little over seven months we've been in the parables. And we've looked at just about every single one, skipping a few that repeated themselves. Um, it's been a great, great series. I've enjoyed it. Raise your hand if you've enjoyed it. I think it's hard not to enjoy the parable, the parable series because they're stories. They're Jesus' stories, so they're good. Well, today we're going to end it. Just to kind of re- recap a little bit, we started off with about five or six parables about the parables of the kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom is like. He talked about the kingdom being a mystery. It's being hidden. It's here. You can't see it. It's growing. You can't do anything to stop it. You can't even do anything to help it or hinder it. It's just coming. And within that kingdom, there's evil and there's good, there's wheat and there's weeds, there's all kinds of things throughout it. And then we moved into the heart of Jesus' ministry, which is the parables of grace. And these are all parables that Jesus tells where the bad guy wins in the end and the good guy gets it. You can think of the prodigal son, the, you know, the Pharisee and the tax collector that Paul read for us, lots of different parables. And then we entered into the parables of judgment and when we started this parables of judgment, we learned that God is going to judge, but that judge is still rooted in grace. Grace is offered first, and depending on how we respond to that grace, we either get it, or if we reject it, then we get judged. And so today we're going to finish Jesus' last parable. If you think about it, it's the last parable he tells before he dies on the cross. So it's white hot. <laughs> it's fitting to be a grand finale of all of his parables. And I'm just going to tell you right now that it is a grand, awful finale. It is, it is probably, the, in some ways, it is the harshest, scariest parable in the whole Bible, in some ways. In fact, just a mention of the parable, like if you're sitting in a conversation with your theological friends over a cup of coffee and you're talking, if someone just mentions this parable, everyone's like, oh, Shudders, oh, how could you, why did you have to bring that up, you know? In fact, if I just quoted one line from this parable, I'm pretty sure most of you would leave in fear and tr- tail t- I'm just kidding, you wouldn't, it's not that bad. But, you, you know, it's just, it's just hard, it's, it, it's terrifying. It is my opinion that nobody has ever heard this parable once and forgotten it. Did you hear that? You cannot hear this parable one single time and forget it. It's, it's, it plagues you for the rest of Okay, you guys want to know what the parable is, don't you? Come on, Mike. The suspense is killing me. What's the parable? Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. The parable is, wait for it, the great judgment. Are you shuddering? Who's, who's not shuddering? None of you are shuddering, really, because that didn't really do it for you, did it? It's like, yeah, I know there's a parable about judgment, but... I don't remember much about it, so it's obviously not that one you were talking about, which is once you hear it, you never forget it. Okay, well then, to be honest, sometimes it's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. Am I getting any shuddering yet? No, even still you're thinking, well, I remember Jesus told a story about sheep separating from the goats, goats, but I don't remember much else about it, to tell you the truth, and it definitely isn't making me shudder. Like, you, you're, you're boistering this thing up to be so bad and awful that that's not doing it for me. I'm sorry, Mike. Okay, let me just do what I said then. 
Uh, let me just quote a line from it and see what happens. Are you ready for this? If you've done it not to the least of these, you've done it not to me. Who's shuddering now? I see a couple shudder. I feel, I'm feeling a shudder myself. That is such a shuddering phrase, isn't it? If you've done it not to the least of these, my brethren, then you've done it not to me. Ooh. Why is it that just the sound of that parable it sounds like fingernails scratching on a chalkboard, doesn't it? I'll tell you, I think it's pretty obvious why. You probably would agree with me. Because if, the, if this parable is what it seems to be, then we're all in trouble, are we not? Because I've invited strangers into my home, but it was a very long time ago, <laughs> and it wasn't probably for holy reasons, you know. Uh, I don't know very many naked people, so I've not clothed them. Um, I do care for the homeless and think they need to be fed, and I do want to give drink to people who are thirsty. I've supported digging wells in Africa one Christmas at $24. But I don't really care about the hungry and the thirsty as I, as I know I should. I really should. Prison? I've never gone to prison to visit anyone. And maybe there's someone in the room that says, well, actually, I have, because he was my friend and I needed to bail him out. Or I could say that I have because I was a youth pastor and I had to go to juvie every once in a while to visit a child. Or maybe you might say, well, I went to prison once, but it, again, was a long time ago, and it wasn't my choice, and it was a rough night. <laughs> But I could say I was there visiting prisoners. <laughs> I just happened to be in the cell with them. All kidding aside, though, this parable's scary, isn't it? It's confusing as well because it seems to suggest that we are saved by works. Did you catch it? I haven't read the parable yet, but it seems to suggest that we're saved by works. If you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you do it to me. And if you don't, then you don't do it to me, and you're going to hell. <laughs> it's pretty scary. And let me just push the envelope a little bit. We already know it's not about that, right? Or you at least already know that I'm going to tell you it's not about that. You at least know that, right? But let's just push it for a minute. What if it was about that? Let's just say that I was a young 20-year-old kid right out of seminary, or maybe a 27, right out of seminary, or college. Let's say I'm a young college kid, and I decided to preach on this passage, and I said something like, we don't know what this verse really means, but just sit on it for a little bit. Think about it. You need to do better on this. Because Jesus said, these are Jesus' words for crying out softly. And let's say I preached a sermon like that as a young Bible student. And I may have done that, actually, as a young Bible student. Then it would make you want to try harder, right? Oh, I need to feed the poor and the hungry. And, 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 and if this was true, if we really believed it to be what it seems to be, then wouldn't it be true that we would all be working our butts off, wouldn't we? I mean, if, if, look, if you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. I'm Jesus. If you've done it not to the least of these brothers, you've not done it to me. I'm Jesus. You're going to hell. It's pretty easy then. All we have to do is go feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit some prisoners, and we're in. <laughs> and if it's that, that's easy. I can do, we all can do that. And if we really thought it was true, wouldn't we just be doing it? And if that were true, then charitable organizations would have to put eager Christian volunteers on waiting lists. Sorry, sir, but the next volunteer opportunity here at this Our Ladies of the Shepherd Inn is not for another 18 months. <laughs> Would you like to be on a waiting list? No, I need to get, in case Jesus comes, I need to get serving right away. One of my favorite pastors said this, it's a common mistake to think that preaching about the need for holiness and good works actually produces holiness and good works. 
Because I could preach, you do need to feed the poor. You do need to clothe the naked. You do need to go to prison and visit people because Jesus said it and it's pretty clear, isn't it? Is that gonna make you try harder and do better and be gooder at those things? And we already know the answer to that because you already thought that that parable meant that most of the time, didn't you? Matthew 25, if you wanna follow along in your smartphone. Um, otherwise, I'm just gonna read it on the screen. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and he will put the goats on his left and then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink and I was a stranger and you welcomed me and I was naked and you clothed me and I was sick and you visited me and I was in prison and you came to me and then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, amen. I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. And I was thirsty and you gave me no drink and I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they also said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, amen, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go, here it is, away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Oh, isn't it shuddering? It is. Someone say it is. I know you're distracted by chocolate and eggs, but it is. It's shuddering. Well, tonight my sermon is going to be pretty short, I think, because everything that I'm going to say I've already said <laughs> in this series. But here's my three points, okay? Point number one, grace is first. We'll see that. Point number two, judgment comes after grace. And then in point number three, we're going to ask ourselves, but so how should we respond to this here parable? This is Jesus' story. He's obviously telling it to us. How does he want us to respond? We'll talk about that. Sound good? Grace first, judgment last, response. Here we go. Grace first. Grace is first. I've said that before, but I'm going to say it again in this parable. Grace is always first. God extends his grace, and then it depends on how we respond to that grace. If we receive it, we're saved. If he gives us grace and we say, I don't need your grace, then we're judged. We see that in every parable. The most famous one, my, the most alarming one from a few weeks ago was the guy who was in the wedding feast, and he wasn't wearing the right clothes. Look, I gave you clothes to wear. You didn't want my clothes. You thought your clothes were good enough. I gave you grace. You rejected my grace. Now you're going to hell. So it's grace first. When we started this series, of this subsection of the series, I mentioned it's inclusion before exclusion. The, uh, the parable of the talents. All three of them were servants. All three of them were in. 
before the last one was cast out because he didn't have faith. He didn't believe. And so it's grace is always first. Can you remember that in your personal study of the Bible? Whatever happens from here on out, wherever you go, if you stay here at Missy O'Day and worship with us, awesome. If you go somewhere else and you hear someone else preaching, will you remember this for me? Grace comes first. It's extended to everyone. Jesus said that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. Grace is first. Judgment comes as a response to that grace. So we have to see that in this parable. It's not works. I know it feels like works. For, for crying out loud, it clearly states works. <laughs> Doesn't it? If you did these things, then you get to go to heaven or inherit my kingdom, I should say more specifically. If you did not do these things, then you get to go to hell. It sounds like works, but it's not works. It's grace and faith and it's lack of an acceptance of grace and a lack of faith. I'm going to show you that, I think. Capon says in his book, it is so easy to make the cursed goats at the king's left hand into bad people loaded down with sins of omission. What's a sin of omission? A sin is when you do something that you're not supposed to do, like curse or hit somebody. A sin of omission is when you don't do something that you were supposed to do, like tithe or care for the poor or pray, right? So, so it's easy to make the goats bad people who are loaded down with sins of omission, and it's even easier to make the blessed sheep into the right, at his right hand into do-gooders, people who do good, who volunteer at soup pantries. But that simply will not bear the light of comparison with the rest of Jesus' teaching. We need to remind ourselves again, and I'm going to add and again, that he habitually avoids depicting badness as an obstacle to the kingdom, just as he carefully steers clear of making goodness one of the entrance requirements. Do you understand the quote? Jesus, in all of his stories, makes it clear that badness, being bad, being a prodigal son, being a tax collector who can do nothing but beat his chest and say, woe is me, a sinner, being bad cannot separate you from Christ's love. And on the flip side, being good will not get you in. The Pharisee was really good, and that didn't get him in. The, prod the prodigal son's brother was really good, and that wasn't getting him into the party. So it's not good versus bad. It's faith versus unfaith. Can you say that with me? Faith versus unfaith. It's always that. It's always that. If we believe in faith alone, then faith alone saves you, and what doesn't save you? Unfaith. And there's another thing I want you to see. The first group of people receives his grace. He says, look, come, all of you, enter into my kingdom that my father has prepared for me since the foundations of the world. And do you notice what they say? Um, excuse me, sir, no disrespect, but when did we do this? <laughs> they didn't even know they did it. So they don't even know. They don't even know. When did we do that? When, when, when did we do that? <laughs> That's why it's grace. God's giving him his grace. You, don't, you didn't even know you did it. You did it. You just did it. And, it, and good for you. I want to say two things. It's not works that saves us. And you guys are used to hearing that from me. So let me throw another one at you that you need to hear. It's also not knowledge that does it. They didn't even know what they had done. And faith is not knowledge. Faith is not mental astuteness. Faith is actually the opposite of knowledge. Faith is contradictory to knowledge. 
The Bible says that faith is being confident of things unseen, um, right? That's what faith is. Faith is, is being confident of things you don't know. I don't know what will happen to me if I jump off this cliff. So I'm going to take a leap of faith. Not a leap of knowledge. I know what's going to happen to me when I jump off this cliff. I'm going to land two feet down. No, 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 you don't know. So it's not knowledge. And, that, and that's evangelicals need to hear that because sometimes I think we think because we've got things figured out theologically that we're saved. And sometimes I wonder, right, even if I'm saved, because I have a lot figured out theologically, but I also don't. <laughs> I also have a lot not figured out. And I may be wrong about the things that I think I have figured out. Can someone say amen? It's not knowledge. You never know. In this parable, can you just remember? In this parable, no one knows. <laughs> The sheep don't know, and the goats don't know. They both were asking the question, when? The sheep wanted to know, when did we do it? And the goats wanted to know, when did we not do it? They thought they had done it. They thought they had done what he said. I love what, what Martin Luther said. No man can know or feel he is saved. He can only believe it. Do you ever sometimes think that maybe you're not? I'm going to raise my hand high, both of them. Sometimes I think I may be completely wrong. I may be out to lunch. I may be a heretic. I may be the first one through the doors of hell. And Luther says, you never know. I know this, this goes against our, our evangelical systems of once saved, always saved. You're secure. Yes, you are if you believe in Jesus and you have faith. But you, I know if you're just like me, you still think, but I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. All you know is what? I believe. It's all I got. On my way here, my son was asking me, how do we know that baby Jesus was actually born in a manger? I'm like, well, because the Bible said so. He goes, yeah, but beside that. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, he's seven years old. I've got a, I got a long journey with this kid, you know? And I'm like, well, there were eyewitnesses in Jesus' life that told, I, you know, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. Maybe he wasn't born in a manger. Maybe he was born in the Holiday Inn. I don't know. But here's what I do know. It doesn't matter. Because all I know is that I have faith that Jesus died for my sins, and that's all I've got to hold on to. That's all I got. And in the last day, I don't think he's going to ask me, did you believe that I was born in a manger? He's just going to ask me, do you believe me? Do you trust me? That's all I needed. Amen? By the way, this, there's, there's a trick here, and the trick is this. You're always going to feel shuddering when you read this parable because you don't know, because you think, I probably could do better. Oh, in fact, all of us could say, for crying out loud, I can do better. I could, I could care more for the poor. I could care more for the naked. I could care more for those who are sick. I could care more for those who are in prison. I could invite strangers into my home. I could do better. I'm a sorry sap of a Christian because I don't do any of those things. Maybe once a year, if I'm lucky. Would you agree if I, raise, if I ask you to raise your hand if that's true of you? Those five things you probably pull off once a year, maybe not even. Raise your, hand if you're, raise your left hand if it's not even. One of the five, yeah. Let's just say one. Why not? How about two? Let's say two would not even be half. Do you think you do two about once a year? I, I, I'm honestly thinking that you're no different than me. And you're, you're lucky if you can check off one a year. You know what I'm saying? We're in trouble if this verse means what it does and it doesn't. My point is that you're always going to feel fear. You're always going to feel scared. You're always going to feel like this parable is telling you that you're not good enough because it is telling you that. And you're always going to say, but I, so I don't know. 
on that last day, if, he, if, he, if this happens literally, if I become a sheep or a goat, and he says, you did this or you didn't do this, I'm not going to have a leg to stand on. <laughs> because no one knows in this parable. No one, no one knows. That's the point. You're not supposed to know. All you have is faith. Someone say it, faith. The next point is judgment comes after grace. Judgment comes after grace. That's why the, the goats are presented after. Um, so the first thing I want to say about judgment he says, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you didn't do this, so therefore you're going to hell. And that sounds very clearly like works salvation. Work this or, or else. The judgment seems clearly given on very specific things that you know must do. And you know that has to contradict against faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone, gospel. So what does it all mean? Well, it's about faith. It's about faith. I want to say this. Jesus spends a great deal of time in all of these parables that we've looked at for the past seven months denying that goodness or badness has anything to do with salvation. We've covered that. The prodigal, for instance, is not portrayed as cleaning up his life. You don't see the prodigal saying, okay, I'm going to do better, Dad. He just comes back and saying, I'm dead. Just make me a hired hand. The 11th hour laborers do not get presented as those who gave 12 hours worth of work in one hour, right? <laughs> They, they didn't like bust their tail in at the last hour to get paid more. They just had faith. They didn't know what he was going to pay them. Whatever, we'll do it. The publican or the tax collector is sent home justified not because he promised he would lead a better life. He didn't. He just said, woe is me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, you're justified before me in heaven. And the Pharisee said, look at me, I give and I tithe and I take care of people. You are not justified before me in heaven. That contradicts the sense of this parable altogether, doesn't it? Capon says this, as far as this parable is concerned, I am not about to come to it prepared to hear Jesus say that he wasted his time establishing faith rather than goodness as the means of approaching the gift of salvation. It should not be interpreted in a way that portrays Jesus as having taken off the velvet gloves of grace and now putting on brass knuckles. We just can't read it that way. We can't read all those other parables we read and then get to this one and say, finally, he's taking off the gray stuff and he's going to beat people and send them into hell because they're not trying hard enough, not doing better. Can't be about that. Capon goes on to say this, Jesus came to raise the dead, not to reform the reformable, and certainly not to specify the degree of non-reform that will nullify the sovereign grace of resurrection. <laughs> You didn't reform enough. This is what we do sometimes as Christians. We say, no, it can't be grace, it can't be works because it is faith alone. So you get saved. And so he's talking to his own people. That's what he's doing here. He's talking to the church. And so within the church, there's posers. We know this. And so he's separating the posers from the real church. The visible church from the invisible church was what he's doing. But when you think about it, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> right? All of a sudden now, well, you said you were a Christian, but you didn't prove it, so I'm going to send you to hell. That's, that doesn't make any sense. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He came to proclaim the kingdom that works only in the last, the lost, the least, the little. You remember this, I hope. Not to set up a height-weight chart for the occupants of the heavenly. <laughs> you guys don't think this is a good quote? Or are you just, just too distracted by eggs? Yeah. So judgment is always given because of a lack of faith not because of a lack of works. So how does that flesh out? It fleshes out like this. It's about faith. It's about faith. Not works, 
but faith in Christ. And if you have faith in Christ, you have a relationship with Christ. And if you have a relationship with Christ, you love Christ, and you know that Christ has identified himself with the last, the least, the lost, the little, and so much that he's identified himself with them that he's identified himself with you who cannot be saved unless you become last, least, lost, last, and little. And therefore, being one who has faith, you are, you, are, you are the least. You are one of the least. And you identify with the other least, and you can't help it. You serve them because you roll with them. You hang with them. And that's why they didn't know they were even doing it. So, it's the cart before the horse thing all over again. We get this, we get this messed up in our heads all the time. Um, it's all about faith and grace. And if you have faith in Jesus, if you love him because he first loved you, the Bible says, then you will start to look like him and spend time with the kinds of people he spends time with. And if you do not know him, if you don't have a relationship with him, you don't spend time with him, then you won't begin to look like him. And you'll be fooled like the rest of the world into thinking that you've actually managed to iron out some of your own wrinkles yourself. And got some things figured out. Look at me, I'm doing pretty good. I've, 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 I've ironed out my own wrinkles. And that's not, that's, not, that's, that's not it. Instead, you have to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not in ironing out your own wrinkles. Trusting in Christ. And then in that trust, you become like him. And in becoming like him, you serve the least of these. You love the least of these. Okay, so let me, let me wrap it up then. And how should we respond? And I think this will help. Here's how we respond. This parable is, again, as all the parables have been, descriptive, not prescriptive. It describes what happens. The king, Jesus, will take the people who are his by faith alone and put them over here, and the people who are not his by lack of faith and put them over here. And he will specifically say, you serve the least, the last, the lost, and the little, and when you did it, you did it to me. And you did not serve the last least lost in a little because you didn't know me. And you don't know how to get into this club called Christianity because you don't relate to the last least lost in a little, which are the only people that I relate to because they're the only people that I can work with. I can only work with dead people. I came here to raise the dead, not to reform the reformable. Let me show you a Bible verse that will, I think, help. Titus chapter 3, it says, For we ourselves were once foolish. Listen to this. We ourselves, this is going to wrap up everything that I've said in all the parables, I think. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Who saved us? He saved us out of his loving kindness and his goodness. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Do you hear this? We were evil, wicked people. But he came in goodness and mercy, and he saved us. And again, not because of anything that we did, but only according to his own mercy. Moving on. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, he cleansed us. He renewed us with the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out into us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. That's what this parable said, right? Blessed are you, you know, you, you, become, you take the kingdom, take, take the inheritance, according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to, insi and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works because these things are excellent 
and profitable for people. Okay, so this whole series you may have been asking, but what about works? What about works? Aren't we supposed to have works? And the answer is, of course. Of course, that's what you're here for. <laughs> you're not just here to sit around and say, I know things, and I know that Jesus loves me, and I know that I'm going to heaven because I know that Jesus loves me. That's not what you're here for. You're here for good works. And I highlighted a word there twice so that you can see it, so that Jesus came, saved us. He saved us by his grace and mercy so that. This is why he saved us. I want you to see it again. Why did he save us? So that being justified by his grace, he repeats it again. Not just so that you'll do this, but so that in being justified by his grace and not by your works, this is, this is, this is going to make sense. In that being justified by grace and nothing else, you have no other alternative but to become heirs of the kingdom, of, of, of the inheritance. Why? Because he knew you're bad, he knows your works won't work, and no matter how hard you try, you'll never be good enough to become an heir of the kingdom of God. Never. That's why Jesus said, unless, you know, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be holy as your Father in heaven is, is holy. Unless your righteousness supersedes that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to be really, really good to get there. And you can't. So he came and he saved us by his grace and his mercy so that being saved by mercy, now you don't have to have works to get in. You have mercy to get in. Does that make sense? The reason why he saved you is so that you don't have to have works to get in because your works will never get you in. Now with this grace and mercy, you get in. So now you're in and you have this inheritance, but it's not even over there. There's another so that. You have this inheritance so that... Those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Again, descriptive, not prescriptive. Cart after the horse, not before the horse. We're saved. We're brought into his marvelous light. We know that we're nothing. We're dead. We're sinners. We're evil. We're wicked. We're last. We're least. We're lost. We're little. He picks us up and says, stop trying to have your own life. Let me give you my life. We take his life. Now that we are heirs, princesses, and princes of the kingdom of God, we then descriptively, we, we, we look like princesses and princes. We act like his children. And, in, and the way we act like his children is we are careful to devote ourselves to good works because it's good for people. It's profitable for people. Let me put it really simply. It's hard to receive grace when you don't deserve it and then not give it when you des- when you have an opportunity to, right? Just like that one parable we told about the guy who got his debt cleared and then he beat a guy, owed him five bucks. If God has cleared you of all your sin and given you his mercy and now you're saved, oh, I'm an heir of the kingdom of God. It is really hard if you understand that and you get that and you truly believe that to walk out the door and flip everyone off. You've got to care for people. You've got to love people. Jesus said, I have come to preach good news to the poor. And if we love Jesus, we're a part of his mission, and we must preach good news to the poor too. It's not prescriptive. You didn't do it, so you're going to hell. It's descriptive. You're not mine, and so you didn't do it. You're mine, and so you did it, because my people do it. I could quote some other Bible verses, but I want you to quote them maybe. So let's do a discussion question. And the discussion question is this. How should you respond to this parable? 
And what I mean to say by it is this. We, ha- we shudder when we hear it. We wrestle with it all the time in our life. We quote it. But now that we've kind of walked through this whole set of parables, and we know that we're looking at this from a grace angle, from a faith angle, the judgment comes because of a lack of faith, not because of works, not performed correctly. How do you respond to this parable? That's what, don't, don't answer for the rest of all of Christianity. <laughs> answer for yourself. I feel like God's calling me to think this about this parable right now. Can we do that? Let me just wrap it up with one Bible verse I think that summarizes everything that we've been saying. And that is 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So hear that when you hear the Bible verse, right? You didn't do it, you're going to hell. Whoa, I'm afraid. Hey, there's no fear in love. Jesus loves you. You love Jesus. Perfect love casts out fear. You don't have to be afraid. For fear has to do with punishment. (laughs) There you go. And whoever fears has not been protected. Perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Here it is. The love of Christ compels us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother.